Hey everybody, the Ramblin' Rev here with a brief little introduction. As I began recording this week's episode, my regular microphone setup was not functioning correctly. Fortunately, I had the foresight of doing a backup recording with a different device and ended up utilizing that for my recording purposes. So you might notice the sound quality is slightly different than normal. Just want to acknowledge that and let you know what's going on. There may be a few times when things get a little bit muffled at, at various points in the episode, simply because I was utilizing a lapel mic and backup microphone. With that, let's get into the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Ramblin' Rev. I am your host, Pastor Scott Dalen. I am The Rambling Rev, and I present these episodes every week for a couple of different reasons. Now, the first reason I do these is to take my brain out of the mode of background work over the course of the week and move into the process of writing and preparing and getting ready the sermon that I will preach to my congregation for the weekend. That is the first reason I do these. And the second is just to allow you, the listener, who have stumbled across this for whatever reason brought you here today, if you are a regular subscriber on one of the different streaming services, to which I say thank you, or if you have just happened to find this one randomly and you're kind of wondering what you're getting into, just to allow you to gain some different insight into the text as assigned by the Revised Common Lectionary, it's, which is a organizational tool every three years that organizes scripture into usable segments for worship purposes. That's why I do these. Now, this particular Sunday, which is March 8th, 2020, we are now into the second Sunday in the season of Lent, moving ever closer towards Holy Week and the arrest and betrayal and torture and death of Jesus on the cross before his resurrection on Easter in mid-April. That is kind of where we are heading at this point. We are in the second Sunday of Lent, as I mentioned. And ordinarily, if you have been tuning in and are a regular listener, you know I usually will preach from the assigned gospel text. Now, we are moving into a series of gospel texts from John's gospel. And uh, this particular week is John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, which is the story of the Pharisee Nicodemus coming to Jesus for a time of learning and debate and discussion at night. Sometimes I call it Nick at night. Uh, Nicodemus is that story. However, this week I am not going to preach from the gospel, and I am actually preaching from our first reading, the assigned text from the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures, which comes this week out of Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4a. It is a very, very brief reading. I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then we will get into it. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. All right, very, very brief reading there. Where are we at in terms of Genesis, overarching story, all of that? How about, first off, we kind of start high, and we'll bring it kind of down a little bit. Genesis, uh, according to my understanding, is an explanation of the history of the Hebrew people or the Jewish people or the Israelites, a lot of different names, and how they ended up getting from the creation of the world or when the world began 
to become a people in the land of Egypt. Now, this is a sense that I have heard before that in many, many ways, the history or the culture of the Hebrew people begins in slavery in Egypt. And so Exodus is kind of the beginning of their story. But Genesis helps answer the story of how did they get there? How did they become a people there? And to explore that, of course, the very earliest chapters of Genesis begin with the creation of the world and a couple of different takes on that. And then we have the uh, expansion of humanity, the fall of humanity, the issues with the flood and Noah. And then finally, we move into things with Abram or Abraham, as he's better known, also Sarah or Sarai, uh, his wife. And this is the beginning of their story. There is a genealogy that goes through much of chapter 11 of Genesis and leaves off as we hear about Abram's father, Terah. Terah is probably considered to be a very, very powerful guy in Ur, kind of a strange thing, but Ur of the Chaldeans. And he has a sense that they will go to, or he will take his tribe, he will take his people group, he will take his family and community, and they will go to the land of Canaan, but they don't get that far. They go to Haran and they settle there. And then Terah dies there. Now, Terah, as I mentioned, is the father of Abram. Abram is the oldest child. He's got a couple of brothers. One of his brothers has died, but has left behind a son named Lot, who we will hear about off and on. In fact, he's mentioned in that brief little passage. So Lot is around. Abram is the heir, is the oldest son. However, he has married Sarai. We hear about that in the tail end of, of chapter 11. And we also hear that Sarai is barren. She has no child. Now, why is this important? Well, because the idea of heirs was very, very, very important, particularly in that time in continuing the family line and continuing the, the ongoing community, the ongoing connection with community. And that was a sensibility that from what I've read was very, 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 very important at that time. And for the heir of Terah, being Abram, to have no heir himself, this is a bad thing and very, very worrisome. And so I believe that is why we have the little snippets about Sarai being barren. And uh, of course, that will take shape a little bit later on in the story as, as things move on. But so what has happened? Well, this family, this group, this batch of nomadic Bedouins, who is probably would be considered a tribal situation might be might be one way of thinking about it, but Terra was probably a warlord of some sort, seemingly powerful, seemingly rich, influence and ability and people who follow him. And Abram would have been the heir to that. He would have been the one to potentially take over when Terra dies. And so it's interesting that um, that God is calling Abram out of that. And that's where things pick up. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. What's, what's a little bit ambiguous here, if it's the father's house, then that seems to indicate when the call of Abram comes that Terah is still alive. We do hear that Terah dies there in Haran before they get to Canaan. But um, it kind of seems through this ambiguity that perhaps he is still alive as Abram leaves. Now, in addition to Abram leaving, he's also taking Lot. Now, Lot is the son of the youngest brother. 
of Abram, but also potentially, at least from what we can get out of the genealogy that's present there in, in verse 11, perhaps would be considered the oldest heir. It seems that the middle brother doesn't have any sons. If he does, they're not mentioned. And Abram, of course, has no children. So therefore, Lot is the heir, apparent at the moment. And now Abram, who is the immediate heir, and then Lot, who's the next heir, the next in line, like second in line, they are both leaving and going away. Now, what are they leaving? Now, we hear that, that God is calling them to leave the country, so the place that is familiar to them. They have settled in Haran. We don't know how long they've been there, but they've been there long enough to be settled. So they're leaving the familiar territory. They're leaving the kindred. So leave your people, leave the ones that you know, leave the relative safety of numbers, the relative safety of community, go away from that, and then even leave your father's house. Leave the, and if we consider that, leave behind that which you stand to inherit. So think about all the different things that Abram would be leaving behind. He's leaving behind familiarity, safety, prestige, the possibility of influence and power with the death of his father whenever that happens. All of this is what is, is he's being left behind. Now he's going to leave along with his wife and that seems to be it. Now we don't know, do they, the two of them just take a tent and maybe Lot brings his tent too and that's it. Do any servants go with them? We don't exactly know. We do hear that when they leave, if we continue on in the next couple of verses, that they take with them their possessions and the people that they have acquired. So his immediate household goes, but his father's house does not go with him. So the greater community stays put and Abram and Lot and Sarai, they just leave with, with a smaller smaller group. But God makes this promise to do quite a bit. And that's interesting to consider all of these different promises that God makes that God will do. I will show you the land. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Your name will be made great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed through you. So God is making this promise. I want you to go into this unknown place. I'm not gonna tell you where, just go. I'll tell you when you get there. No one has been there before. This is utterly and completely unknown. Not only does Abram not know where he's going, but there's no one who has gone on there before. Now, will there be other people there? Sure, there are, but no one from his tribe, no one from his group, no one from his realm of, of security or influence has ever been there. He's got no idea where he's going. I heard someone talking about this earlier this week, even thinking about the idea of perhaps our European ancestors who came to the United States a, a century or two ago, you know, sometime in the past, that when they were planning on coming here, my ancestors who came from Norway, if we were to think about that, they, there were other people that had come here before. They were not the very first ones to go. There was a, a process, there was a place, there was an establishment that, that they were able to follow. Sure, it was scary, sure it took bravery, sure it took courage, but they weren't the first to do it. Abram seems to be the first one to do it. I want you to leave everything, God says, and go into this place, not even gonna tell you where you're going, I'll just tell you when you get there. And yet the promise remains that all of this is gonna happen and what's interesting, we also hear a little bit later on that Abram's already 75 years old. So he's not exactly young. 
He himself is established, but it seems that his father's still around. But he's not a young guy at this point already. And at some point, God is making this promise and Abram follows it. Abram says, okay, he seems to believe the promise of God, which will be credited to him as righteousness. Side note, that's from our second lesson that comes out of Romans. The apostle Paul talks about Abraham or Abram, same guy, and uh, how he believed God and it's credited to him as righteousness. So apparently righteousness means believing the promises of God. Well, God makes these promises, even with no evidence that it will follow through. Abram has no heir. He has a wife who is seemingly barren. And yet God says, I'm going to make you, give you many descendants and you're going to be a great nation. And Abram's like, well, this makes no sense, but okay. And that is in this brief reading, everything that we hear about. And yet the idea is, is still very present, that the action is going to happen on the part of God. Abram has to be brave and have courage and follow the direction of God, follow where God leads or follow what God is asking of him. And I don't discount that. Of course, it would have been scary for him to do all of this. But the action that happens, the greater blessing, that is all the action of God. And one final point that I kind of want to make that I'm really thinking about is putting this in connection back with John, with the gospel lesson that I referenced earlier. The, the lesson from John includes what is arguably one of the best known statements from the New Testament, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. What's important about that, as much as I love that verse, and I do, we also need to continue on into the next verse that comes after him. John 3, 17, indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The action of salvation, the action of justification or whatever, it's not ours to do. Oftentimes, John 3.16 will be used in the theological stance that, that we are called to, um, that we have to do something, that it's about our belief. We believe the promises of God, but the action of salvation is already finished. That's done on the part of God. We don't do anything for salvation, not even the belief that we have. It's within Lutheran theology or Lutheran understanding of things, even faith itself, believing the promise is an empowerment and a gift of the Holy Spirit within us. So that the action is not ours to claim. The action is that of God's. And, and that's tying back to this, this idea that we have from Genesis 12 as well, that the action of blessing, all of the stuff that's going on is on the part of God. And that's an important reminder for us within our lives of faith, that we, we are called to be brave. We are called out. We are called to be different in the world. And that can be scary. That can be very intimidating for us to do. And yet the promise remains that the action of our salvation, the action of justification, all of this is being done by God, has been done through Christ on the cross in his death and then his subsequent resurrection. And that's all important stuff for us to remember. So that's really kind of where this, where this episode is going. That's where the sermon is going. That's kind of what I've got in the back of my mind for, for preaching. I want to say thanks for giving the time to tune in. Uh, if you happen to be listening on iTunes and would like to leave a rating and review, that's always appreciated. Uh, the more of those that come in, the, the more the algorithms throw us in front of other people. So if you would be willing to do that and you find these to be beneficial, I want to say thank you for that. And if you would consider that, be spectacular. Otherwise, I hope you have a blessed week. We will catch you next time.